Hello ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Behind the Brain Podcast. Today's guest is Richard Oliver Cross, and this is a guy that's talking about dealing with bouts of anxiety and depression that he's gone through. Um, I truly learned a lot about those subjects. I learned loads about Richard in this as well, and if I'm perfectly honest, this is an absolutely fantastic episode um, of what some people really do go through when they have low mental health so without further ado enjoy the episode hey ladies and gents welcome to another episode of behind the brain podcast and today's guest is richard cross so richard cross is a personal trainer and he's a guy on instagram i don't know do you do do any other platforms uh no just instagram um He's a guy on Instagram who talks about mental health, but talks about uh, his own mental health and some of the sort of the battles that he's had with that. So I just thought, what a great guy to get on the episode, because I can imagine that a lot of people that listen to this will sort of find some sort of relatable points like I have with some of the stuff that Richard has said. So first question for you, Richard, straight in. Uh, sort of going to roll this like a timeline when did you uh, sort of notice uh, these things going on so my story is really quite um, it starts from a very very young age really so um, growing up my my father was very physically and emotionally abusive So um, quite a violent individual, quite um, an aggressive individual and someone who would often say a lot of hurtful things in order to try and provoke a response. And like one of the things that I've sort of you know, started to learn through therapy and things like that is um, when you say these sort of things and you expose children to violence and aggression from a very young age, they can't quite comprehend it. So for me, it started at that point, but it, for, it didn't really kind of manifest itself, I would say, until my early 20s. So at this point, I was about 21. Um, I went to the doctor to basically get a blood test because I found myself um, feeling constantly lethargic. I had massive issues sleeping. I had no drive. I had constant brain fog. Um, And I just found myself just kind of like a bit of a a shadow of who I really am. Mm. And so I went to went to the doctor, got these blood tests, went back for the results. And the guy said, you are quite literally in perfect health. Uh, You've got one of the lowest cholesterol levels I've ever seen. Um, Every single blood test you've got, you are well in sort of, you know, well in the acceptable range, if not sort of over on the positive side. And that's when he then said there is it doesn't make sense that someone who their physical health is saying one thing is presenting the symptoms that you're talking about. And that's when this guy just basically gave me um, a mental health questionnaire, which if you do go to your GP, they will ask they'll ask you to fill out and it will ask you certain things about your mood and it asks you to rank them from one to five or have you experienced certain thoughts of this kind yes or no and I filled that out and he basically just said you have just pretty much ticked every box for depression wow. and that's that for me was a real um, I never thought of myself as a 
depressed person uh, because I think at the time my perception of um, someone with depression was kind of like a typical, say, someone in like a TV show or a movie who kind of like wearing the same clothes for like days on end, just mopes mm. around their house, feeling really sad, like slow shoulders, kind of like droopy dog type thing. And so I was like, that's not me. Um, and so I, I didn't think that I was depressed. And I did kind of fight against that, um, against that diagnosis. And so like, this is at age of 21, right? Yeah. Wow. And also this back then also, this wasn't a widely kind of acknowledged thing. So if you think I'm 35 now, you know, we are going back over 14 years. And back then, you know, um, mental health just wasn't discussed. Uh, it wasn't talked about and it was very much the kind of, um, Oh, just suck it up. Yeah. Oh, what have you got to feel sad about? There are kids in Africa sort of the conversation. Yeah. And, um, I got to, and, and also the things that was my mindset as well. I was like, you know, I'm not depressed. Like what was, what's going mm-hmm. on? No, I'm not. Um, but I always, as I've sort of, um, sort of say to people who do struggle with mental health is it's kind of like, um, let's say a bill comes through the post. You can put it off. Mm. You can just ignore that bill, but then they'll send another one. And then they'll say, right, late payment. And before you know it, you can put it off for months and months and months, maybe even a year. But eventually the bailiff's going to come to your house and go, right, you owe us some money. Yeah. And that's, that's how, that's the analogy I use to describe mental health is you can keep putting it off, but eventually it's going to come knocking on your door. And it's not something that you can just ignore. You can do it from the short term, but it's not something you can ignore long term. And um, what was, so after he's seen that questionnaire, you filled that out, what was his advice? So his advice to me was he started me on some antidepressants. Um, I can't remember the name of them actually, um, but um, he started me on antidepressants and advised that I go speak to someone. And that was my first time um, in therapy as well. Okay. Um, so I ended up having to go privately because the waiting list through the NHS was something like four to six months. And he was like, I think you need to um, speak to someone because one of the things on the questionnaire that we were talking about was, um, have you ever experienced suicidal thoughts? And I said, no. But then when we were talking, um, I, said, I said to him, I was like, sometimes I just feel like I just want to get away from everything. I was like, mm-hmm. I just want to go like live in a cave in the middle of nowhere and just kind of like, just not have to deal with everything for a while. And he explained to me, he said, whilst this, that isn't a suicidal thought in the strictest of terms, it, there is a sort of a parallel because you are basically saying that you don't want to deal with life. Yeah, you want to be alone. You want to put life on hold. And, yeah. and so whilst it's not the same thought strictly, there are parallels with that. And again, that was quite a shock to me because I never thought of myself as a suicidal person either. Mm. Um, in fact, I was, you know, I'm the sort of person where I, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I want to die of old age. Um, and so it was, it was, that was a bit of a, um, that was a bit of an alarm to me as well. So this is why this guy recommended um, I try antidepressants and also therapy. Yeah. And so that's where that was my first time in therapy as well. God, I'm just trying to think of like, 
being at 21, being told that, that's quite, you know, because I don't know about you, you sort of, you when you're younger than that, so when you're like 15, 16, you think you know what you're going to do by the age of 21. You get to 21, you still realise, what the fuck am I doing with life? And it's only it's only past when you get into your 30s, you start realising, okay, this is the direction to a degree. Still don't know what I'm yeah, fucking yeah, doing. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> but to be told that at 21, bloody hell. So you, so you did the therapy and you, did, um, you was obviously taking the medication. Mm-hmm. Did that how long did that take to work and how, how was that process of therapy? Now I've got to admit that, um, for me, and this is a really individual thing is that, um, for me, antidepressants didn't help me. Okay. Now I only tried one type of antidepressant. Um, if I could jump in my time machine and go back, I would have asked to try another type of Mm -hmm. antidepressant or something like that, because this particular one, it made me feel very numb. And I felt a bit robotic because one of the things that antidepressants do, they they kind of level you out. Yeah. But what it found for me is that I didn't feel as low, but I couldn't feel quite as happy either. And I felt very kind of robotic. And I felt a little bit, um, it just just wasn't me. And I felt a bit numbed to everything and I didn't quite like it. Um, and so that's why for myself, I went more down the, the path of therapy. Um, now, like I said, this isn't to say that antidepressants don't work mm-hmm. because I know people who have taken antidepressants and they have had a night and day effect on people. Yeah. Um, but what I would say is that you do have to find your, your sort of, mm-hmm. your sort of path what works for you. And being as mine was, sort of as I've gone through it now in therapy is, is more what was called basically trauma-based. That's the sort of thing where it's more to do with um, let's, you know, something you have to sort of you have to discuss in therapy. And so there's a lot of th- things that you talk about, you know, they might be sort of like CBT. Yeah. Um, Solution-based, like isn't it? So CBT. Yeah. Um, and because it, 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 it really, it changes, it really frames, you frame your core beliefs in childhood. Yeah. And so because that for me was slightly interfered, you know, I had a very kind of warped view of the world. I was exceptionally sceptical. Um, I was very, um, I, just, I just didn't trust anyone in any mm-hmm. situation. Um, and always thought everyone was out to get me. And because that was sort of, that's, that's the environment I was brought up in. Yeah. And so that's where therapy for me started into trying to change those uh, beliefs. And it, but it's very hard because that's what you've been told. Yeah, it's ingrained to a degree, isn't it? Yeah. And you've got to unwind it's kind of, it's kind of like a, kind of like a, um, like, you know, to use a, a weird sort of um, analogy there, like, it's almost like if you get a rescue dog. And, you know, for example, like, you might go to stroke that rescue dog with, like, the nicest of intentions to get a little pat on the head and ruffle his ears and all the rest of it. That dog might flinch the second you put a hand towards because that's what's been ingrained into that dog. Yeah. That you know they've been taught the hand comes near it might hit them, and so you you know it's in the same. It's you know that was kind of me. I was that kind of like you know dog who thought every time a hand came near it, if it was good or bad intentions, I always flinched and recoiled. Yeah. What What was you doing for work at that time? So what was other stresses going on in your life as well? Being oh, so um, I at that time I was working in account management and sales. Okay. And it was just quite a pressured job. 
it wasn't necessarily high pressure for me. Um, it's more the fact I just didn't enjoy it. It's just not who I am. And I knew I didn't enjoy it, but I was kind of in that stage where I was trying to convince myself that, um, that you know, oh yeah, no, it is good. And you know, it's good money, you get bonuses and stuff like this. Yeah. And now you enjoy it, you enjoy it. And it's like I said, you, you can put that off for a long time. Um, but eventually, um, again, you think there's only so long you can put that off for until you realize that, you know, you keep trying the same thing and you keep getting to the same result. It's time to try something else. Was you playing sports and lifting at this time as well? So I was going to the gym, um, although this was in my sort of early days. Um, so uh, this is back when I was following plans that I got from like T Nation and Simply Shredded. So I was Arnold, I was, I was, Arnold's blueprint, mate. Exactly, mate. You know it. You know it. So I was I was doing weird dog shit stuff in the gym. Um, so I wasn't quite training um, well, but I was training, and I did find it quite a good um, outlet for me. Um, yeah. Even if I was doing stupid stuff, like I would always get on a treadmill and and run first because I wanted to burn body fat. Yeah, of course. And then I'd jump on the weights because I wanted to obviously grow muscle. So Build. I just thought, oh, two birds with one stone here, do it all in the same session. You know, is that clever, sprints clever, as well? Clever. Is it sprints or is it, it was must no, have just, been sprints? Just, 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 just running. Just, just a jog. Like, okay, yeah. Jog, yeah. Just, as I, I thought I was, I thought, yeah, I was, <laughs> I'm going to come at this from both ends. Choosing how to burn body fat and how to build muscle. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, well, why not? I just do both. Cool, easy. Um, but um, yeah, so it's actually quite... Um, I was, you know, so I, I did quite enjoy it. And I, the thing is, even if you follow a shit plan, you stick to it, you will get yeah. some results. And so I did actually, you know, that's what sort of kept me in the gym and kept me training. And I did enjoy that. And it's always, the gym's always been a really good outlet for me. Yeah. There's actually quite a, a, a good bit of research. I've seen uh, Greg Slater post this quite a lot and lift the bar about um, like the gym, the positive effects it has on people that they obviously mm. suffer with like anxiety and stuff like that. I know that's obviously different. Like there's like a real once people are bought into the gym you can really see how good it is because it's essentially how i view the gym is being selfish but the good selfish you're doing something for you because you're constantly most people are constantly doing things for other people aren't they and they sort of as you you obviously work with clients that are like that as well whereas actually the gym is their space it's what they do and that's quite important for well i just wish everyone would bloody lift weights to be fair but yeah you, you know <laughs> Massively, and I, I really think, you know, you really kind of touched on a good point there in that a lot of people who don't do a lot of things themselves, um, I particularly find um, it's so beneficial for people like mothers. Yeah. And people with, you know, young children, because, you know, basically your entire life revolves around someone else. You're not mm -hmm. the centre of your own universe like I am because I don't have any children. Yeah. So, um, you know, I can kind of do what I want to a certain extent. But um, for people like that, I think it's a massively... Um, empowering thing because um I, I i feel that strength is a multifaceted thing but once you gain it in one area and you feel strong mm. in something that you were once weak in it reframes your perception of how yeah. you can build strength in other areas yeah you feel capable don't you so it's like you, you would have had this as well um you know i had it's a simple thing i always bring up a client of mine ben you know he used to climb a hill that was local to us because he lives by me and always felt out of breath. But one day he managed to climb the hill, didn't feel out of breath, and he carried his daughter on his shoulders. And we hadn't done any cardio. 
or anything like that. That was just generally through strength training because I know that sounds weird. Cause, oh, how is he not get out of breath? But he's realized actually how competent he is and how capable he is. So he's actually got, right, I'm going to try this and I'm going to challenge myself and I've done it, you know, and that's, that's the great thing about any sort of exercise is that actually makes you very capable in other areas, doesn't it? Yeah, massively, massively. Um, I just, it's just so, the benefits of that, I think it's, I really think the industry has a way to, um, bodybuilding-esque approach yeah. to how people are, you know, how people mm. uh, approach fitness. And I, I really think that that's such a, such a, like a, 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 a I'd actually say a minority of what the entire mm. industry is. And the main reason that people go to the gym, yeah, everyone wants to look better naked. And, you know, there is a sort of thing that does give you um, more confidence in that. And I'm definitely someone who, when I when I when I'm, I'm happy with the way that I look, it definitely I definitely feel more confident myself. But yeah. I think there's a huge, uh, it's a really huge thing in um, in sort of like you know pushing yourself and kind of having that sense of pride and that you did something which was particularly difficult. And uh, like I say it just it just makes you aware of what, what you're capable of. Yeah, overcoming barriers essentially, isn't it? That you've built usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So because. Oh, go on, sorry. So on, go on. on that, just like for me, um, I, I, you know, I went through a lot of my childhood kind of being um, always knocked down, um, yeah. you know, whatever I did. And I, I felt very, as a, as a teenager, I had exceptionally low self-esteem and I had no confidence in myself. And that was something that I would say exercise really gave me because mm. Um, I'm naturally quite an athletic person and I mm. found that I was, I was like, I'm quite good at this. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not yourself. I'm taking to it quite well. And uh, it always, always found that I was like, oh, okay. And it's just like I said, it just changes. Like I've always been told this, but here's what I'm finding. Yeah. And like, maybe that isn't true. Yeah. You're proving yourself and what others say wrong, essentially, isn't it? Mm. You shouldn't do this. I've done that. And I, I got yeah, away with exactly. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, back to what we was talking about mm-hmm. so you, you sort of done therapy you found out that antidepressants weren't for you so, and you're doing obviously this job that you're sort of just knowing it's not for you as well obviously probably wanted a bit more of an active job and just something different to challenge you what where did you go then so i imagine that's still quite early 20s isn't it yeah so um at this point i was still working in sort of sales and account management um, in hindsight, I ended my therapy way too early Okay. because right. as soon as I started to feel better and I started to, you know, see an improvement, I was like, right, I'm, I'm done now. Because to a certain extent, I was still kind of in denial that I was really depressed. Yeah. How, lo- how long was that period, by the way, from start to finish? How, so, so how long did you that, do therapy? Um, that would have been for roughly four months. Okay. Yeah. Is that once a week? Yeah, once a week. Uh, yeah, okay. That's the typical. That's a typical therapy thing. Um, I personally don't know of people who do it um, more often than that, yeah. because a lot of what you do in therapy is um, so quite often you're set like homework, and it's a lot of kind of exploring what you went through in that session, and I think that's really important because yeah. it allows you to find the answers for yourself. And it's almost in the same way of like personal training. Yeah. Um, it's not always about every time you have a question, you you know, you go to your trainer and ask it. It's your, mm. your trainer um, teaches you things and then you use that for, you know, you use that that kind of what you've been told and knowledge to 
exploring things for yourself and find out what works for you. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of what I think therapy gives you. But um, in hindsight, I, I ended my therapy way too soon. Uh, and I was still working in sales up until about the age of 24. And that was just when I just kind of, I was like, this, this, I've, I've kind of had it. Mm. And what, um, go on, sorry. And I said, I was, I was just in a, um, in a, I was actually in my gym training and being the uh, social wallflower that I am, uh, of course, talking to fucking everyone. And this guy just said, you know what? I think you make a really good PT. And I'd never thought of being a personal trainer before. Mm. Um, and he was like, mate, if you're qualified, I'll give you a job. Boom. And I thought that was really interesting because I, I didn't really see myself as a personal trainer. Um, at that time, I just thought, you know what? It's, it's, I'm going to give it a go. Why not? Mm. Um, so did my qualification. Um, just took about six weeks. Um, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> six weeks, I'm done. Um, you're in my safe hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know everything now, trust me. Yeah, yeah and so, um, yeah, six weeks, I uh, did my course, and I got my first uh, job uh, working at Jill's, working in uh, Virgin Active. Cool. And, yeah, that was kind of, that was the start of it. With, um, so we're going to go a little bit back. So when you're going through therapy and you're obviously bringing up uh, things that have gone on, are you in contact with your dad? No. no. Um, I haven't spoken to him for well over a decade. Okay. Um, there's certain things where, um, this is something that I had to kind of come to myself, which is, um, like, because what, what I found, one thing that really frustrated me was that, um, through a lot of my childhood, other people would often make excuses for things that he did and things that he said. And it would be kind of like, oh, you know, well, you only get one father, you know, or, well, and I said, I was, I was, didn't want any contact with him anymore. A lot of people said things like, oh, you'll regret that when, you know, when he's, when he goes and things like this. And like, just because someone is a relative or a friend mm. or a partner, you know, it doesn't mean that you owe them anything. Mm. Um, and if that person has a profoundly negative effect on you, then, um, then it's just it's you know it gets to gets to the point where it's just you know this isn't helpful and unfortunately there was a um, an incident where um, police were called to our house and uh, this happened a few times and it just kind of got to the point where it's just like this is just uh, you know this is insane like you, like why am I, I I just need to remove myself from this and you know it's just um, and so that was that was that for me was actually quite. Um, it really gave, it really helped me actually to remove mm. myself from that. Cause I, I you know, you, you feel like you're kind of um, like almost like there's, there's something like a, like a, an IV in a drip that's like putting poison in you. Yeah. And it's just slowly just dripping that poison. Yeah, in eating you. away at you. Yeah. Yeah. Massively. And it's just like, you know, you have taken the power and control to remove that. Yeah. And which is empowering really, itself, isn't it? And you're quite powerful when that happens. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's, it's something, and it's just, and I, I then was just like, hey, well, this isn't, you know, who I was, isn't who I am. And there was a big thing for me of, you know, I wanted to kind of be my own man. And, um, and that was a real important thing for me. So, um, actually, in fact, I even remember um, getting my, um, get on my motorbike and going up to Norwich is where my grandfather lived. And my grandfather, my mother's side was someone I really admired and look up to. Yeah. And he was kind of my father figure. 
And I was named after him because my name is Richard Oliver and his name is Oliver and his surname's Cross. And I was uh, went up there and had a chat with him and just said, look, um, you know, I don't, don't, I'm not, I'm no longer speaking to my father. Uh, I was like, you, you know, you've always been the person that I've looked up to. And, um, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in that. And I was like, it, you know, it really important for me for me to have your name instead mm-hmm. of instead of his, you know, my father's name. And that would mean a lot to me. And he sort of gave me his blessing. And again, it's just it was that was a really healing thing for me. Yeah. Because it was like I'm I'm removing myself and all these things now in my past. And so then it was really nice to me because I could say that when I talk about my name, and that's why I, I just put my sort of like my initials mean quite a lot to me. Yeah. Um, you know, Richard Oliver Cross, because I'm named after my grandfather Oliver Cross. Um, it was like you know, something I could have a lot of pride in. Yeah. And that for me was really, really important. What age was that when you sort of right? You was like, I've got to get out of this environment. What? So that would have been that would have been around my um, early to mid twenties. Yeah, God. So that would have been that would be about twenty three, twenty four. Yeah, right. Wow, that's quite easy. those those like those years there. There's a lot going on, isn't there? Like those five to six years, a lot of actually real big things that you've had to deal with. At, in my eyes, a very very young age, still. It's it's very strange and like I didn't really start. So what I noticed was that, like when you're younger, like you you don't you don't miss what you've never had. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I had my first girlfriend uh, when I was 15, and I would go to my girlfriend's house, and like my girlfriend's dad would like would talk to me in a certain way or ask yeah. how things were at school and stuff like that, and that's when it really hit me and it was like hang on a second like oh so that's how that's supposed to act and that's that's when it was kind of like for me it really reframed that and having spending uh, a lot of time with him and he was doing things for me because I think he had two daughters and he didn't have a son so I think it was kind of nice for him to have sort of like you know like a sort of like you know something he can sort of like help and pass on to the things and like so he was um really into motorbikes and so was I and so he kind of like he taught me how to like fix motorbikes and stuff like that typical like father-son stuff Mm. and so that was when I really started to go okay so this is what having like a strong like good male role model feels like Mm. and as soon as I had that it really made me realize that things hadn't been quite right in my life and that was I would say was like sort of the beginning gave you perspective of like households and how it's all different right Mm. and it's like i know every family has their own issues and stuff like that but Mm. i suppose it gave you a chance to step back and go bloody hell like yeah this is what normality feels like to a degree i suppose yeah 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 big time and um yeah so that was that was really that was something that really um kind of like reframed that for me and that's when i really started to kind of realize it and i guess over time it started to kind of eat away at me a bit as well and like so uh because obviously at that time i was still living at home it was then i would it would then be that kind of um that transition from being at my sort of girlfriend's house yeah and being in quite a nice environment and then coming home and it's kind of like yeah you know, not looking forward to it yeah not looking forward to yeah yeah you, you don't feel safe in your own home anymore and it's just like that was really when it started to i was then more aware of it <laughs> and i started to find that like it started then uh, it started to impact me more mentally as well. Okay. 
so with so now let's go back forward again so you <laughs> this guy this guy has said to you right dude i think you'd be a good personal trainer you've done your course mm-hmm. um what was that like and how did that make you feel because you know like i know all personal trainers say this but i do genuinely believe this can be one of the best jobs in the world if you if you sort of do it right to a degree which is very hard we're all still young in it to a degree and we're all still learning that takes years but it, it can be such a fulfilling job when you see you know some of the impacts we have on people's lives you know what how, how did that make so when sorry when you st- first started training you was at virgin active or ptn so i'll say how did that go yeah like i said i found that i uh i took to it quite quickly uh and you know it's something that i because like i say i'm quite a uh, talkative person yeah. i've never, never had any issues kind of like talking to people meeting new people that was never a problem for me. So I found that I could sort of walk a gym floor and just chat to people. And it just, I don't know, just generally, and the thing is we're talking over uh, 10 years ago and this is way before Instagram and all the rest of it. And you would literally just, you know, walk on a gym floor and you would chat to people, talk about their fitness goals, help them correct their form. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go, oh, by the way, I'm interested. Um, I was thinking about getting some yeah. PT. And, and the best thing about that, that is you did that actually because i worked in david lloyd for a while um and you did that without even thinking about trying to get them as a pt client yeah like back then there was no such thing as like pt sales courses there were no uh you know like you know that those sort of things and you just it was it was um because I've, I've never been a huge i've always found selling kind of like a difficult thing to do because yeah. I, I find i really hate obviously again because of like you know my childhood and stuff like that i hate the idea of like manipulating someone yeah and so i always hated any kind of sales thing and so i would my my whole sales thing would be just to basically help someone until the point where they would go oh um can i get some pt from you mm. which worked when i was uh <laughs> it works like someone i started out pt obviously that's not the industry we're in at the moment but um yeah like i, I actually found that i took to it reasonably well and I never sort of really had any um, any kind of issues with that. Um, I wouldn't say that my training at the time was particularly great. I was still kind of um, GVT. <laughs> oh mate, I was I was at that point. Um, so my the person who took my course was Poliquin Mad, and so that yeah, yeah. I just put I just put everyone on GVT, um, German body composition like five second eccentrics yeah. and then wondering why all of my clients are complaining of back pain yeah <laughs> you know like you know like four second eccentric deadlifts and it's just like yeah so i've just put my client who's a hedge fund manager and he's doing like five second eccentric deadlifts and i'm like well, why is he complaining about back pain you know well, what's going on here yeah yeah well my clients complain their shoulders in nukes when i just put them through some like absolute ming dog drop set and all this, like, you know, and just, uh, and I was, I was like proper polyquins. I was just like, you know, sh- you can even look at sugar, it will kill you. you know, <laughs> stuff like this, you know, and like, I just, you know, and, um, like, I always told my clients, like, never ever um, have like low fat products. No, always full fat. Yeah. You know, so I was, I, was, I proper, I probably like, yeah, I was, I was, it's I like, drank it's like a late. one approach fits all to a degree, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I was, I was very, I was very, very polyquin at the start. 
But then again, like he did loads of good for this industry. So as much as always, you know, he's one of those things. He's a very professional bloke, you know, loved coaching people. He did loads of good things for the industry. I think the industry sort of goes through those phases, isn't it? Where we all, I think as you're younger, you, when you start in the coaching scene, you're an absolutist, you're an extremist, you find a camp that suits your narrative and you sit in it. And you're like, oh. and then you, as you grow older and you realize it's all individual, you understand that you can just pull from different camps, PRI, RTS, Poliquin, Eric Cressy stuff. You know, you can just take a dabble, use it with your clients, you know, and that I think hopefully that's what coaches evolve into as they understand mm -hmm. it. I can just take a snippet of that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the thing. I would always say that as I've sort of progressed as a coach, the more simple my training has become. Yeah. And, you know, I'm at the point now where the vast majority, I'd probably say about 80% of all my clients are on full body training programs. Yeah, sure. And that's it, you know, training anywhere between two to four times a week. And that's it. And, you know, it's all very, very simple. And you're absolutely right. Like, um, I think this industry has a real issue with deifying people. Yeah. And then it's all like, you know, everything this person says is right. They can't do anything wrong. And we kind of like just have this whole thing, like, you know, there's no nuance to it. Yeah. And uh, it's just like we, we, we have really kind of push some things at certain times and it's not always what's right. No. And um, I said, we always tend to look at everything through like an athlete's eyes. Yeah. And, you know, how, what percentage of the population are athletes, right? <laughs> so, yeah, like we're absolutely just thrashing people with these crazy training programs and uh, wondering why it's not going right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So early off, actually, PT, but it went, it went, I said, I, I quite enjoyed it and it, it did, um, it did go quite well for me. Did that work well with, so you've done your therapy, you've started coaching. Mm -hmm. um, did that work well with the mental health side of things as well? Because you, you're getting, I yeah, suppose I you're getting satisfaction better. from the job, mm -hmm. aren't you? Yeah, I was in a better place. And then I left the, uh, I left Virgin Active and went to work uh, with a gym that opened up in Vauxhall called The Foundry. And this is where I would say I made the most progress in my career because um, all of a sudden, I was in a great environment of working with people who uh, the gym was run by a friend of mine, a guy called Ben Gotting, who um, played rugby professionally with Wasps and himself had a um, degree in exercise science. And so okay. I had someone there that I could really learn from and he really mentored me. And I'm the sort of person where I'm not afraid of asking questions. And I'll just yeah. be like, oh, ben, what's your opinion on this? What's your take on that? What, what's, what's this do? What's that do? Yeah. And I'm actually one of these people where I'm very all or nothing. Okay. And if I want to learn about something, I want to learn absolutely everything about it, or I'm not really that interested. And that's, I really, I found somewhere I could really apply myself. And as the foundry was a sort of like a strongman style gym, um, there were no machines. And so all of a sudden, um, I had to learn how to teach clients how to squat, how to deadlift, um, because there were no leg presses. Yeah. Yeah, and then I found that was a really interesting thing for me, like because I had to find ways to work around client issues rather mm. than just always resorting to machines. Yeah, and that's when I would say that my um, my skills really sort of took a bit of a leap forward because I, I was kind of put in a situation where I had to work around client problems and I couldn't just rely on, you know, I said just just always go back to machines. So 
Yeah, it's um, it's quite good when you get exposed to something like that, isn't it? I remember when um, we was at Grenade and then we went to the unit, um, and it was just like yeah, more minimal kit. And it, do you know what it does? It make you stand there, and you have a whiteboard or whatever. Some people don't, whatever. And it, it just makes you really fall in love with the creative side of what you've got to do and how you've got to coach people and how you've got to help them. Then you start making, you're not reinventing the wheel, of course you're not, but you start coming up with all these great ideas that are actually going to suit your client really well with all this minimal kit. And that's when you realise there's so much we can still do, you know? Yeah, big time. And I said, I think there are, um, and this is where, I'm a, I've become a big fan of like, you know, obviously there are no bad exercises, mm. but there are just wrong applications of yeah. those exercises. And there's always like, when people say, oh, um, most people can't squat. I hate that. It's such an absolute thing to say. Um, you know, there's always a, a form of squat pattern that you can get almost anyone to do. Yeah. And so that's, I said, that's what I really like the foundry. And I really enjoyed it there because suddenly I was in a, I was in a new environment um, I was really learning. I was improving my skills. I enjoyed it because it was quite, it was a really fun atmosphere. Um, we constantly just kind of like took the piss out of each other and had a real laugh training. And it just, just had fun. And, and so I definitely found that my mood really picked up. And it was, like I said, it was a fun environment. And we kind of like did stupid stuff. And for once, um, Ben asked me to uh, demonstrate a lat raise. Yeah. And so he gives me these, these two dumbbells for like eight kilos, something like that. And so I'm demonstrating these lat raises. And he's like, oh, then hold it at the top for me. So I'm holding it at the top. And he's like, I'll turn around. So I'll right back to him now. And he's like going to everyone. He's like, oh, yeah. So you can see here where like this head of the deltoid, and I'm just sitting there. And he's like, he got me because he's like, oh, yeah, Rich, you've got good form. You'll demonstrate this well. So it's obviously just like, just jumped straight into my ego. I'm like, yeah, of course I've got fucking great form. What a legend I am. <laughs> and so there I am holding this lat raise. And all that, and he's waffling away about this, and he's just grabbed my shorts and just ripped them down. And so then I'm trying, I've got these two dumbbells in my hands, so I've just ditched these dumbbells trying to pull my shorts back up. And, and it was just something stupid we used to do to each other all the time. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just stupid stuff. And it was just, it was actually a really fun environment. And um, being a kid really, again, really enjoyed it. Sorry? Isn't it? It's like a, it's like being a kid again because we lose touch with those mm. sorts of things, don't we, as we get older? And it's like you've gone into this foundry where it's just like I imagine, like a rugby club bit of banter to yeah. a degree, and yeah. And it was, it was it was really really good fun, and it was like the, the cool thing was like it wasn't just like a like a boys club. Um, I mean, because we ran a lot of classes there, um, our class actually had a predominantly female uh, base, and it was actually really good fun and. I just, I just really enjoyed it. And you kind of, you really felt like you belong there. And um, I'll definitely say that I then found that my, my um, sort of like mental health just generally improved. Mm. Um, and then, so that was, I was coaching there until about 20, 2017. Okay. Uh, at which point uh, my girlfriend at the time um, was offered a very, very lucrative job in Dubai. Yeah. And, she moved out there. We tried the whole long-term thing and we just said, look, something's going to have to give. So I moved out to Dubai and it just wasn't for me no. um, at that time. So I was meant to be working with a gym out there. Um, but what I've worked, found out is that in the Middle East, nothing happens on time. No. Um, so the gym just uh, was basically a couple of months late opening and then there were these, all these other issues. So 
that really affected me because in Dubai, you need um, a visa, obviously through, which you get through uh, a job or a company. And you need that visa to apply for an ID card. You need an ID card to open a bank account, to have a phone, to get a driving license and pretty much do anything. And so all of a sudden I was kind of like in Dubai and I literally couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um, and so I just became, and as you can imagine, like, you know, just being sort of there and I was away from my friends and stuff like that. I started to find that I really kind of like went off a, went off a cliff and stuck it out until I stuck it out for a year. And in 2018, I moved back. Uh, but I found then I was really, I was in a very, very bad place. And really? I'd probably say that 2018 was probably one of my darkest years. Did you, did the relationship give as well then? Yes. So yeah. um, when, when, once I moved back, uh, we tried to sort of keep things going, but eventually we just, we found out like it just wasn't um, good. And the thing is, I was in a very negative place myself. And one of the things that it can be very, very difficult is while someone is going through a phase of very poor mental health is that at times, and this isn't to, um, you know, to come across as nasty, like they can be quite difficult people to be around. Yeah. And I was very difficult because my, my outlook on the life is everything's shit. What's the point in doing anything? It's all just going to go to shit anyway. Yeah. Um, and it was just everything was just like you know oh do you want to go out for dinner tonight no can't be bothered can't just be asked proper negative loop constantly yeah. and it's just getting worse and worse and the problem with that is that you kind of act like a bit of a whirlpool and you drag other people in yeah and they don't want to be around and you. yeah exactly yeah but then also at the, at the same time you're pushing people away but you feel incredibly lonely yourself hmm. but yet your instinct is to push people away and so um, it's a very, it's a very difficult place to, and it's full of contradiction. Um, but so that's that's so that the relationship then ended, and I then found that I was just sort of everything kind of like come to the surface again. Yeah. And I just had this this whole mindset of like nothing's ever going to go right for me, and yeah, things are always going to be shit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, at this point, I was I was drinking way too much as well. Okay. Um, I started um, I started smoking a lot of weed as well. Yeah. Because I found that actually it, one thing is that it helped me sleep, and the other thing is that it also found that when I when I was high, I like my my mind was a lot quieter, okay. and this constant kind of um, this kind of like stuck record of thoughts that sort of go round in your head um it just sort of like it made that a lot quieter and mm. it was kind of nice it was this real escapism uh, but the problem is is i was doing it quite literally every night whilst also drinking quite heavily as well okay. and mm. it'd be a case of i'd go out drink to excess and i kind of wanted to i'd always have to be like the the kind of the guy who was like the life of the party i was always the guy who wanted like yeah let's get shots in and all this and i was always the guy who was going to down some like stupid horrible dirty pine or something like that yeah. and yeah so that was that's kind of what, what i was doing and then when i get home then i smoke and get high and that was kind of like how i dealt with things for a while but it obviously as you can imagine it's very negative for your own health yeah it's something you start to rely on uh you build up a tolerance to it so you start needing more to get the same effect 
and like I said, it's, it's only it can only go one way. And that was when I I kind of realised, look, I need to I need help again. And that's when I went to therapy for the second time. Same therapist? No, no, different therapist this time. Okay. Um, so um, I was living in Clapham at the time, and so I was went to a place called the Awareness Centre, and I had uh, my therapist. Her name was Millie, and I was with her again for about four or five months again okay when, quick one when you uh sort of had that moment of like i need to address this did you stop the booze and the weed then or did that gradually go away i didn't go cold turkey with it yeah. i found that i i gradually kind of like weaned myself off it um because at this time also i started to have some really kind of um some very very dark thoughts um, which at the time made perfect sense to me. And I started to think to myself, well, look, I'm not enjoying life. There's nothing that I really look forward to. And I was like, I, I don't enjoy this. So surely it makes sense, like, not to be alive. Like, that just mm -hmm. makes perfect sense, right? Mm -hmm. And so the way I, I sort of like almost um, tried to sort of justify it to myself, I was like, well, if you have a headache, and you don't like having a headache, you, you take a painkiller to make it go away. And I was like, well, if you don't enjoy being alive, you just make it go away. Like, well, this, this makes yeah. sense. And that was a thing. And But then the, the other thing that was sort of, that really kind of like hit me was that I had a fear of being the person who would end my, that I, I would be the reason my life would end. Yeah, I didn't want that to happen. But at the time, I was just... Um, like I wanted to be like the victim of some horrible accident. Like I wanted to be hit by a car that jumped the lights or something like that, where it's like, it's no one's fault. And like, no one can say, oh, but if only I'd reached out to him or something like this and my, yeah. my family, my friends wouldn't feel guilty about it. You know, I just, you know, I just thought, oh, you know, it'd be great. Just like, I could just be the victim of some like tragic mugging or like some, some horrible accident that went wrong. And that way, um, it's just, it just kind of like, I just like, that would just fix everything. Mm. And then I was just, and then I, I kind of had this realisation, like, this isn't right. I, I just got to do something to fix it. And that's when I went to, that's when I started going back to therapy. Good. And I think this is the thing is that you're, I think when you're in that place in a very, you know, when you are depressed, your thoughts are almost entirely emotionally based. There's yeah. very little logic. Yeah. in your thoughts and you know, cause like i said what could be more illogical than someone thinking like i need to end my life yeah like i, I don't think there's much there's much that could be sort of more illogical well, even and that comparison so, of the headache thing is like hmm. even like ending your life is so much bigger isn't it whereas the headache yeah, is so yeah. small isn't it but we draw these like random parallels yeah. and i just find that when you're in that place you know you're not thinking straight and make really poor decisions um and like i said all your decisions are based on emotion and the thing is that um, negative emotion can be a lot stronger than positive emotion. Yeah, sure. And um, so, for example, fear can motivate us a lot more than hope. And so at that time, you know, everything you're operating off is based on negative emotion. And so like I said, at this time, you know, you do make really poor decisions. And this is where I think a lot of empathy is required for people who are going through 
um, periods of really low mental health because a lot of people from the outside looking in can think, oh, they're just not helping themselves. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you can look at me and just go, oh, look at Rich. Like, oh, he says he's unhappy, but look at him. He's out getting pissed all the fucking time, yeah. you know, getting high. Like, of course he's, you know, like, why, you know, if, yeah. if, he, if he wants to be happy, why don't he stop doing that? Yeah. And so from the outside, it can seem like this person is really not helping themselves. You know, and, and I think that's where a lot of people um, have a very warped perception of depression and what it's like to be at that place. Yeah. Because you, you don't have a lot of self-awareness at that time. And you got, yeah. And did you, did you have anyone apart from the therapist, Millie, did you have anyone else in your life, like friends and stuff trying to like, you know, advise, not, not that their, their advice I imagine would be sometimes be the best. But did you have anyone else in your life that were trying to, you know? No, help? I, I wanted to. I, I, I tried to hide it as much as I could. Okay. Because what I, I generally found was, you know, when I went out, I was like the good time guy. I was up for, always up for a laugh. Everyone thought it was you were normal then, didn't they? And you were just up for a laugh. Well, the things, but you, you, you sort of like you make you, you kind of like lead yourself to believe like, yeah, I'm a fun person. I'm all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm a good guy. Like, and. It just kind of like gives you, it gives you a bit of a pick me up, but it's always very fleeting and it's always, um, it never, never, never ever lasts, it's always short term. But I didn't, you know, when, when you've been sort of like, you know, alone with your thoughts and you, you know, you've got these thoughts in the back of your head, just kind of telling yourself like, oh, what's the point in doing that? It's not going to fucking work. And yeah. I don't do that. Like, oh, you shit at that. Like, don't even like, mm. you know, and stuff like this. And you're constantly like, you know, you just, you're so fucking negative to yourself all the time. Like, you know, you might see a girl you like, but this thought in your head just goes, don't fucking ask her out. She's only going to say no. She's going to reject like, you. You're going to look like a fucking yeah. mug. So like, don't, don't even bother. Like, what's the point? Mm. Um, and or it's just like, oh yeah, but you know, she's just going to hurt you or, you know, something like this. And so you're always you're so, so negative. And then it that does become really draining. And so I think a lot of people who are in a stage of very low mental health often in a way to kind of like deceive yourself act the very opposite of how they're feeling yeah right yeah in order to again to, to, to put across this perception that you're absolutely fine and everything's great and you're actually like a really fun person because who doesn't want to be fun and after going through all of that who wants to be the person who sat in the pub going do you know what lads i feel really shit yeah is it because is there an element of where you don't want sympathy as well yeah i i again i i hate it's pity i never yeah. wanted anyone to pity me and it's something that I've always kind of put when I've spoken about mental health. And um, as I said earlier, I, this, I've never wanted to discuss mental health from a poor me yeah. perspective. I've never wanted to go, oh, Rich, oh, you poor thing or anything like that. It's, that's not what it's about. No. Um, and I don't think pity helps anyone. And there's a, there's a huge difference between pity and empathy. And it's a, it's a real big thing, I think, where... Some people feel that they have to try and understand. And one of the the best things that people can say, and one of the things that really, really helps is someone um, just said to me once, he's like, mate, I've never had mental health problems in my life. Yeah. I'm a happy person. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But is there anything I can do to help? Yeah. And that is something that really, because it's just like, okay, now you get it. Now Mm. you understand you don't have to know it's just like it's like saying that the only person like 
all cardiologists must have had a heart attack at some point. It doesn't make any sense, right? Mm. You don't have to have had that issue to fix it or to help. So you don't have to understand what it's like to be depressed in order to help someone with it. But, and, you, and you certainly don't need to pity people. But all you have to do is just listen. And mm. I've, I found for a lot of time, you tell people, um, oh, I'm feeling quite down. Straight away, they start, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you tried yoga? Mm. Have you tried CBD oil? And it's just like, man, I'm dealing with some pretty heavy shit here. You think fucking yeah. CBD oil is going to fix it? Mm. Trust me, like the amount of weed I was fucking smoking, we didn't think I was getting enough CBD. Like... <laughs> You just get the proper like, stuff. <laughs> I was, I went, you know, I spent best part of a year like smoking joints the size of tampons, and you know, I was like, you think I'm not getting enough fucking CBD? Like, trust me, like I was getting more than enough. And if, if CBD was going to fix what I had, it would have been fixed fucking ages ago. You know, so it's just like, um, yeah. and it's just like people have this very. I was like, I'm not coming to you to fix my problem. Yeah, you know. Um, sometimes all you want is to just talk to someone. Um, and I say just, just half the time, it's just like, oh, how can I help? Mate, I just want to have a pint with you and I just want to talk stupid shit. Let's talk about yeah. the rugby. Let's talk about this. Let's, you know, let's, you know, just let's, let's talk about fucking lifting or something like that. Like mm. you want a bit of normality. You don't yeah. always want to be in that position. And there's also this thing that when you tell people that you do feel depressed, they feel that they can't then say anything negative in their life. Because mm-hmm. I found that sometimes and it comes from a nice place. Yeah. But like you say something and it's just like, oh, um, you're chatting and it's both, oh, that's such a fucking shit week. And then they'd like look quite alarmed, look over at you and like, I'm oh, not to say that like it's, it's worse than yours, Rich. I know you're yeah. having a really fucking hard time. Like, no, 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 no. This isn't, yeah. this isn't top trumps. Yeah. This isn't us like trying to fucking like outdo each other and like my issues are more than your issues and stuff like that. Yeah, it's this all relative, it's isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just like your problems are your own, my problems are my own. They're my responsibility, they're no one else's. And that was the thing. And it's like you don't always want it to be that and you don't want people to pity you. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose like you want them to be themselves around you because then it so imagine if you if you're say having these issues and you're always in your own thoughts and then you want to go and meet your friends and have i'm just assuming this by the way uh, a conversation or a beer with them you don't want to talk about that because you actually want to talk about what else is going on i imagine yeah massively and like i say you don't always want to be that person who's kind of like where everyone's kind of acting differently around you i get another situation this person was talking about a situation that was really embarrassing and they just went, oh yeah, like, oh, I felt so fucking embarrassed. Honestly, I wanted to die. And then they're like, oh, but not that I'm saying that like, you know, I wanted to kill myself or anything. Like, it's like, no, no I, get it. I get it. Like, yeah. you're not, I know that's not what you mean. And I can, you know, yeah. there is nuance to this, like, don't, don't worry about it. But, and like I said, it's, it's, as soon as you start saying it though, it's almost like you can't take it back. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a really difficult thing. And it's just like, you know, um, like Jesus Christ, trying to tell my mum about it. And it was just literally like any time. Yeah. Well, no, but no, oh. it, was, it was it was the opposite. It was like constantly. Like, is everything okay? You're right. You okay? You okay? Yeah. Is everything okay? Yeah. And it would just be like, um, like it's just everything was like all of a sudden it's like as you know, mums worry too much, and so that was it. Like all she did was worry about me, and then that makes you feel guilty as a person. Yeah. You're just like, oh, now my mum's always worrying about me. And it kind of it can sometimes add to your stress and. 
sometimes then you don't want to talk about it. And this is the thing when people say, oh, talk to someone. Well, it's not always helpful when we say talk to someone because some people have some really shit advice to give. Some people mm. will say to someone who's really depressed, oh, just suck it up, stiff up a lip type thing. Mm. And so, and also talking can, when you're, when you're in that place, talking about it can be very counterintuitive. Sometimes you don't, assuming again, mm. sometimes, you know, people say, um, what's it, a, a, is it a problem said is a problem half? Is that, is that? Problem shared is problem half. Problem, but sometimes that, that's not a, the right thing. That's not always a good thing. That's not the, like, that's not a solution, is it, for some people? like you say there, I imagine that for speaking, speaking to people, sometimes it just doesn't help them. Then there needs to be a different way. Yeah. And this is, this is the thing. And it's, you know, this is where speaking to a therapist and a professional is yeah. in my opinion, one of those helpful things you can do because this person, they don't know you. They don't know your friends, they don't know your family. And so, and also there is no judgment. Yeah. That's a really important thing. And this is where I, I really recommend like seeking therapy. And look, there are huge waiting lists. Anytime I've gone for therapy, I've gone privately. Um, and I've, I've quite literally spent thousands and thousands and thousands on therapy. It's not cheap, yeah. but it's so much better than the alternative. Yeah. Yeah, right. you, you, you know, we say, you know, we, you know, we as personal trainers, we say like you can't put a price on your health, but and you can't put a price on your mental health as well. Like stress will mm -hmm. kill you um, and, you know, will lead to things like heart attacks and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and let's let's be honest. Like I, I, one thing that I always think is so sobering is that for myself, for the next 10 years, the thing that is most likely to kill me is myself. Yeah. And so it makes sense that yes, whilst spending, you know, a couple hundred pounds a month on therapy might be quite expensive and quite a large outlay for the vast majority of people, it is so much better than the alternative. And I think it's generally one of the best investments people can make. And, um, you know, and, and I am something, speaking as someone who is in therapy at the moment. Yeah, I was, I was literally gonna ask, so you, you started working with Millie, um, after and how old was you when that when you so that this is actually a few years back, back so that, was in, that was in 2018 that was yeah. in 2018 yeah, so, so early 30s yeah um so then again i um again like in hindsight i think i again started to end my therapy once i started to feel a bit better and things like that and i've got to admit like things did start to did start to get better for me though um, and I sort of built my PT, I went, um, built my PT business, uh, to a really, really good point. I was super proud of it. Um, made the genius idea in 2019 to go full one-to-one -one. Yeah. and I was like a full client book and that was great. And I obviously then pandemic hits yeah. and that's when I sort of then went, went declined again, because I, I've worked so hard to get myself into this place. And it was just like, okay, something that's completely out of my control has just come in and just like yeah. pulled the rug out from under my feet. And I started to feel really shit. And I had kind of like, you know, built myself up. And now it's just like, oh, fuck's sake, you know, something, not something else, mm. fuck's sake. And um, that was when actually I started to experience anxiety for the first time. Okay. 
because I was worried about the future. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, I'm never going to be able to afford to buy somewhere. Yeah. I'm never going to get a mortgage. I'm just going to constantly, you know, you know, am I going to be in my 50s still getting up at 5 a.m. to go PT in a gym and stuff like this? And um, am I ever going to be able to retire? I haven't got a pension. I started to worry. And something my therapist, my current therapist, Liz, said to me, she said, depression is when you're living in the past. Anxiety is when you're living in the future. Mm. Contentment is when you're living in the moment. And this is where then I started to experience really bad anxiety, which is something I'd never experienced before. Um, my resting heart rate went up to the high 80s. And like the point where I just, just feel it. Yeah. And it's just, and everything was just like, you know, training became incredibly hard because you get halfway through a set, your heart's beating out your chest and you're getting super out of breath. And then you're just like, <sighs> And people would think having like an asthma attack or something in the gym and um and it was just like it's just really and I, I just i really struggled with that and um i then went through a phase of just um i completely lost my appetite yeah i remember and, i was i remember you talking about this stuff actually yeah and I, I barely ate a thing i lost about six kilos over the space of uh two weeks which is quite and, a lot for you because you're you're so rich is like a big dude but he's i'd say you're fairly lean all the time as well do you know what i mean yeah mostly like i've always i've always kind of like um like people sort of say like uh, you know oh how did you get that i was like well it took me the best part of like 10 years like mm. to build like sort of like where i am and so i always always did things sort of like in the slow and steady kind of approach mm. um but yeah i lost a lot of weight yeah and like i said this anxiety was then just killing my sleep and um that's when i went back into therapy again at the beginning of march and i have been ever since every every monday without fail bank holiday wherever it is i see my therapist and um i would say for someone like myself um like if you do experience you find that you are quite prone to poor mental health an ounce of prevention is worth a ton of cure yeah and in the same way that Let's say, um, I don't know, you're a terrible gardener. So you take, you get some gardener to come in and look after your garden or, you know, you're not great. You're not too sure about how to maintain your car. So you take it to a mechanic. Uh, what we do, some people um, struggle with their fitness and with their nutrition. And so they come to us. Yeah. And so it's just like, it's like, well, then if I struggle with my mental health, it makes sense for me to, to visit a therapist regularly, even if I haven't got a hell of a lot going on. And what I'd say is that therapy really gives you just the tools to help deal with things. And it, you know, I think they, they explain why you, why you think and why you feel certain things. And it really, it really makes a lot of sense. And you start to really um, kind of understand um, yourself a bit better and why you react a certain way and things like this um and you know what, what things really piss you off what triggers you what what mm. what things put you in that place and it's so it's so 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 helpful and i really think that for people who do suffer from poor mental health um i think therapy is a huge 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 help so bear in mind you've done it twice and three, three times now three times yeah, yeah. so are you and you've obviously, you realise that you did it, you probably cut it short 
each time. What's your plan of action with Liz? So um, at the moment, I have no intention of stopping it. Yeah. Um, I think it's something um, that's just really, I just think for me, um, you know, just to, to spend that money, I think is a very sensible thing for myself. Yeah. And like I say, it's just an ounce of prevention is worth a ton of cure. And if I am, if I'm sort of better in my mind and I'm feeling good in my mind, I'm, um, I'm a better friend to my friends. Yeah. I'm a better trainer to my clients. I'm a better son to my mother. I'm a better brother to my sisters. Yeah. Um, I'm a better uncle to my niece. I'm, I'm better for everyone. Yeah. And it's, everyone, it's everyone like, around you gets a better, a better rock, don't they? Yes, Essentially, they get exactly a better you. Yeah. And it's just the thing. And it's just, it's a really kind of like, this is the thing. So I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm naturally a, like a miserable person. If yeah. anything, I'd say the complete opposite. Yeah. I'm actually quite a, a very upbeat. Like I'm, I'm always generally like, you know, a bit of a class clown and I like having a laugh and stuff like this. And that's usually the person I am. And it's not like me to be negative and miserable um, all the time. And so what I would say is it helps me be more authentically myself yeah and it helps me sort of beat those thoughts that sometimes that crop up and um it helps me you know i i i am the, the sort of person where this is the sort of thing i know as you mentioned like i'm quite a big guy i've played rugby i've got a mm. strong man and stuff like this and i wouldn't say that i'm 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 not the sort of person who's sort of like you know round his shoulders and stuff like you know yeah, not, closed you know like well, you know, very introverted and things like mm. that. That's not who I am. So I think that, you know, I, I don't come across the sort of person who you would think would suffer from depression or anxiety or very low self-esteem and things like that. Um, you know, I don't come across that way. It doesn't mean yeah. that it's happened. It's not happening. Yeah. And what I would say is that it's, it helps you massively for all those things. Mate, that's honestly... Um great to hear and i'm so glad that actually i got you on because there's so many things that i didn't know about you that i've obviously learned on this today with um so obviously we spoke about this before you, you was going to touch on sort of the language and the associations mm. people have with you know even the word mental when you know you can even think of the associations mm. that has what i'd like to obviously dig deeper into what you want to say about certain words and sort of I suppose how certain words make people feel powerless and certain words make people feel powerful. What, what, what was you going to talk about? Yeah. So I, I really think that how we word things is incredibly important. Yeah. And how we frame things is really important as well. Um, I, I do use the term mental health yeah. because, um, you know, it is, it is, and so it, it frames it in that it is generally to do with your mind. Now, obviously there are sort of, connotations with that where you know like you call someone mental as a sort of an insult to them yeah are you fucking mental like you know and so that you know that there can be a negative connotation with that but mental health is a term that i use with it and i say poor mental health because you know we talk a lot about depression but that's a very that's one of the many mental health illnesses out there um and so, for example, like you know, we, we have there's depression, but there's also anxiety. There's also mm. things such as like OCD and there are numerous mental health disorders. Mm. And so when I sort of say that I'm kind of like, you know, we, we talk about it in sort of like the, the group of mental health, because I think sometimes depression 
um, is kind of like the, the might the wrong word to use, like the flagship, and it's yeah. the one that gets a lot of the attention and focus. Yeah, there are there are some really debilitating mental health disorders that maybe don't get quite as much attention. So I like to do like to say mental health because it, it just sort of encompasses a wider range of issues. But the one thing I was saying, saying is I, I don't like saying is I never like to use the phrase suffer. Yeah. I don't say, oh, I suffer from poor mental health or I suffer from depression. I suffer from anxiety mm. um, because I think say like, you know, it's suffering. Well, everyone suffers in some kind of way. And not to get all like stoic about it or anything like that, but um, everyone suffers in their own way. Absolutely everyone. Like Jesus Christ, there are there are millionaires who've killed themselves. Yeah. You know, look at how many. I've got, one thing I always uh, talk about is um, uh, you guy I'm a huge fan of uh, Chris Cornell, who was um, singer of the band like Audio Slave, yeah. and um, this guy uh, was worth eighty million pounds, and in a rock he had band, an amazing family. <laughs> He um, he had you know he was an internationally renowned songwriter, mm. um, fame, money beyond belief, and he killed himself. Yeah. And so I just like so you can't you can't just say like you know we can't draw absolutes from it because you know that guy was clearly suffering, and so I, so I don't like to use that term sort of suffer. So I was I like to say things like you know well I deal with poor yeah. mental health. Mm. Or poor mental health is something I have to work on. And I think it reframes it because then if you suffer from something, I think it frames it as you are a victim and yeah. victims are typically powerless. And it's like, no, it's something I deal with it. I'm dealing with it. I'm doing yeah. something. Okay. Yeah. I've got a problem. I'm dealing with it. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm speaking to a therapist. I'm doing sensible thing. I'm cutting down on alcohol. I'm not putting myself in situations that will drive me into certain, that will push me into certain areas. You know, I'm dealing with it. I'm working on it. And I think yeah. it gives you, because again, it gives you that, that it reframes that you are in control. Yeah. I like that. Happens. The, like, the deal with it. It's like, I'm just thinking in my head now, I'm picturing someone saying to me, I'm suffering and then someone's saying I'm dealing. And when when someone says that they're dealing with it, it's more of like, oh, okay, this person's doing something about it, isn't mm. it? Whereas the suffering is like they're not. I'm in a, you know, the person who's dealing with it is probably in a dark place as well. But mm. I see what you mean now that straight away of how you can look at two people, saying one saying suffering, one saying dealing with it, and how you can view that very differently. Yeah. And like I said, so this is this is something that I just that's, that's the way I like to frame it, and yeah. and especially like even when I talk to people who have had, um, you know, who who talk to me about open up about their own mental health issues, um, I you know I think that you never go in there with an assumption yeah. uh, because and, that's, and it's just I think it's a really you know you're trying to put as much of a a positive spin on it as you can because. Like I said it can be a really negative place and having that light at the end of the tunnel, I think is so, so, so important for people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so a lot of the language about it, I think is important. And this is where, um, oh, like the phrase like man up boils my piss. <laughs> boils your piss. Like yeah. <laughs> um, it just like, you know, the, yeah. the whole like, oh, oh man up, yeah. man up. Oh, it's just, it's just like, I'd say what something that anyone can ignore their problems yeah right anyone can do that 
Anyone can ignore it, okay? Like I said, people want to talk about being a man. Being a man is confronting your issues and dealing with them. Yeah. And so I think that if someone is being proactive, if someone goes to a GP to discuss their low mental health and wants to start trying things like antidepressants, that you are dealing with that. You're, you're, I've got so much respect for people who do that. Okay. If someone wants to take that step to go to see a therapist and really open up about some really dark stuff, then I, I, those, those sort of people have my utmost respect. And I think they're, those are incredibly brave people. Yeah. Um, because as you can imagine, I, I do talk quite candidly about this stuff. And so people then feel a bit more comfortable speaking to someone who has been through a similar issue. Yeah. Um, in the same way that someone like yourself, um, like you can talk to me about, you know, going through selection for, you know, like armed service and stuff like that. But I can't, I've never done it myself. So I can't mm. really, you know, it's only when you can talk to someone who has maybe done it, you can go, oh yeah, you know, do you remember this or doing that? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, and it's just like um, you, you they, people can understand that a bit better, yeah, because they've they've gone through it. And so, I think that's when, um, if you've gone through that, you generally people open up to you a bit more. And so, when people do that, um, I said the language you use and and understand that. I think I think it's really really brave to to open up about those things because your instinct is to clamp down and clam mm -hmm. up. And I think, you know, this whole sort of man up thing and, oh, just deal with it. Oh, look, you know, just sort your shit out. Mm. You know, I just think it's such a, it's, it's the, re, it's the, I'm sorry, it's the doing the absolute minimum. Yeah, it's so uh, unhelpful, isn't it? Yeah, and I think this whole thing of like tough love. Yeah. Tough love is giving someone the absolute minimum. Mm. Like anyone as a personal trainer can take an overweight client and just go, you're fucking fat, eat less food, just get in the fucking gym. Mm. Okay. Well, what, have you, what have you, how have you helped that person? Mm. How, what, what have you done to help them? Mm. You just made them feel really shit about themselves. And mm. it's the same way in any, in any instance, it's like walking up to a homeless person. Oh, just, just buy a fucking house. Yeah. Oh, yeah great. Well, well, that was really clever. That's what, yeah. have you, what have you done? And it's the same way we talk about things with mental health issues. And the um, that kind of like phrasing, I, I think, is, is exceptionally negative. Yeah. It doesn't help anyone. You know, it's framed under this idea of giving tough love. There's nothing loving about it at all. In fact, I think it's quite vindictive and nasty. Mm. Um, and because taking that step to actually admit that you, you know, you do have issues that you need help with takes um an incredible amount of bravery you're shutting the door uh, to a degree on the wrong like so i would say tough love for some people works and it depends who's given it but you know if you've got a person who's just opened up to say a potential client and you address that completely in the wrong one the wrong way with a bit of tough love you just shut the fucking door in their face they are not yeah. coming back to you to to for help do you know what i mean they are yeah. not coming back to you are they this is where I, I think it's very important to really discuss things in a very honest way. Yeah. Now, I, I think I always say there's, there's, you can, you can say something bad in a nice way. Yeah, of course. Um, you can say something in a, in a caring way, in a supportive way, even if it's something negative, there is, yeah. there's, there's a way to do it. It always is. And um, at the moment I'm listening to one of um, David Goggins, books which yeah. is really uh, i've really enjoyed because he talks a lot about his father being very abusive to him when he was younger 
And there were a lot of parallels. And it was kind of interesting to kind of say, well, this guy has achieved so much. And he came from a similar background to me. So, it, you know, it gives mm. someone like myself a bit of like, oh, that's brilliant. That's, it gives, it mm. gives you that hope and it gives you sort of a form of motivation. And I really like the way that he, he frames things for himself in that he dealt with things in very kind of, un, you know, like no uncertain terms. Like he spoke, he speaks about having an accountability mirror, which he would have some post-its on a mirror in his bedroom. And on those, he would say, like, you are fat, you need to lose weight. Yeah. Because that for him, again, this worked for him. It's not saying yeah. this works for everyone. By, by accepting it and acknowledging it in no uncertain terms, that helps him. Yeah. And this is where I think, you know, we, we shouldn't be, we should be aware of our language, but we should yeah. never be afraid of it. No. In the sense, we should never be afraid to, to say to someone, um, like, you know, who is in a really bad place. And I've said to some people, I just say, look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not trying to project or push anything onto you. But some of the things you're saying, like, it sounds as though you may have, you may be in a, in a position of low mental health. Have you considered speaking to someone? Would you yeah. like someone to go with you to, you know, go to a doctor or something like mm-hmm. that? And it's like, because yeah. it's like, we can't be afraid to have these conversations. Yeah, you can't. It's like the way you've worded that is so much better than someone going, you need counselling. Do you know what I mean? There's two people yeah. that could have, like that person, let's say this person messaged you and you said it how you said it and then someone else said it the other way. How is that, the way that you said it is probably going to get a better response than the way someone going, you need yeah. counselling. Yeah. So one, one saying I've always loved is a drop of honey gets you more than a gallon of vinegar. Yeah. Right. And so I said the way you say things and you can always just, if you phrase things from a, I think, I think you have to generally want to kind of like help someone who's in that place. Yeah. And I think it helps to kind of understand that everything, when you're in that, when you're in that, that negative place, that everything you want to fight against it. Mm. You want to push back against it and so you want to frame it in a way that gives the minimum amount of pushback and if someone's in your face going to sort your shit out it's so easy to go yeah well fuck you too yeah it's just so it's just way too easy to do that um and so if someone's framing things from a position of care and a position of empathy and understanding and is also then offering their help to you it's so difficult to say no yeah and like I said, and there, there have been issues that hasn't always gone fantastically well. I've had some people why I've said that, and they've gotten incredibly angry. Yeah. Who you? Oh, fuck off, Rich. Yeah. What you think everyone's depressed just because you were? Where, where, where. And then it kind of like then, but and then having that and having that conversation, it's like, okay, well, the way I responded was really, really bad. Maybe I'm not as okay as I thought I was. Yeah. And then it's just like I said, it's just it's not your job to fix people, but. You know, I think I don't think that anyone can help. Yeah. You know, it's a therapist's job to to help someone with their issues. It's their scope, but then it's yeah. And you know, it's like you know, it's it's not if someone has you know a medical issue. That's you know, that's a that's for a doctor. That's a doctor's job. Mm. But then it you know, any I really feel that anyone can help. That requires understanding and just listening and really listening, like and hearing people out. Because there's nothing worse than someone starts opening up and then people are interrupting them 
oh yeah well i had an issue like that and what i did was I was like fuck off this isn't about you don't make it about you yeah talk to someone hear them out and give them all the help if someone's listening to this and they really really resonate is that the the first i imagine what your answer is going to be about obviously therapy what would you advise Go to the GP or because there's a lot so, of stuff that's out there for free, isn't there online? Like NHS have a lot. Of there stuff are there. there are there are a lot of resources. Yeah. So one thing I would say is it would be well worth speaking to your GP. And just just to I said because you know I know I said I've seen some people who have has made night and day changes on antidepressants, and I tell you one thing when you open up about your own experiences, you would be, and people will feel for more, more sort of comfortable to open up to you. Yeah. And one thing I will say is that I have trained some exceptionally successful people over the years. And the amount of people who you think are just nailing life and are just literally just like nothing but net, absolutely fucking killing it. And they've spoken about, yeah, I've been on antidepressants before. I've been through counselling. I've been through therapy. And you'll you'd be amazed. And I think that's, um, I think you've got to explore different options in order to find the right one for you. Um, in the same way, you might explore different areas of fitness. Um, you know, some people love CrossFit. Some people love powerlifting. Some people love bodybuilding. Some people love strongman. Some people just love just general physical fitness. Okay, some people love endurance training, marathons, triathlons. There are so many things out there. You can't just say it's one, one size fits all. I would, if someone is in a position where things really aren't right in themselves, I would say speaking to your GP is a really, really sensible thing to do. Okay, because that might be a really quick and immediate way that can help. Okay, and remember, what you do doesn't have to be forever. Just because you start an antidepressant and you feel I don't work for you, you can try a different type of antidepressant. Um, like I've had before, like I had a girlfriend who was taking, um, changed her pill and it just made her, it just completely ruined her. It made her extreme, like just, you know, so you try a different one or you try a different form of contraceptive or you just try something different. You don't, you're not stuck with that for the rest of your life. And I thought that's something that people just feel like, oh yeah, but I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. Yeah. Okay, um, I would say that, and then look at different methods of therapy. Um, there are a lot of different things out there. Um, there, there, a lot of places will um, will give financial or, or discounted prices to people who are in a sort of you know maybe can't quite afford full therapy and things like yeah. that. There are options out there. Um, there are some brilliant resources um, where you can find counsellors and therapists in your area and things like that. And you can see different people and their experience and their backgrounds and stuff like that who may be um, best sort of skill to help you whatever issues you are going through. Because um, some people, like, so my mindset is a lot to do with a lot of childhood trauma. For yeah. other people, it could be, a, you know, grievance, losing a loved one, something mm -hmm. like that. For other people, you know, there's, there's so many reasons that can cause it. Okay, and so there are, there are so many resources out there, and I would say um, explore it, and and it, it can be a really difficult thing to do. It could really, really, really can, and if you have someone who can support you through that, that can really help. And um, you know, it's, it's not it's not something that has to be done alone. 
Would you advise, by the way, that's some great advice. Would you advise coaches to have a referral network of counselors as well? I would say it's helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, it's how has, you tell that client, isn't it? That can be. Yeah. I would issues. say as, as trainers, we often hear things about our clients that they don't necessarily tell the people. And I think almost as, um, as personal trainers, we almost become part-time therapists ourselves mm. uh, to a certain degree. Um, and because, you know, I've, I've, I've said it's like, you know, if you train a client two, three times a week, um, how often do you get one-on-one time with someone for an hour for that long mm. like very rarely yeah and you know if you've got you know a, 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 you know family and something like that getting one-on-one time with your partner to actually just talk with them and not just be sat in front of a tv or something like that it's very very rare and so as trainers i think we really um we can often be the first port of call for someone to talk to because we spend yeah. so much time with them and we don't necessarily know their friends and family so we're relatively impartial I would say it's very, very helpful. Yeah. Um, and I, I said, as a trainer, it's not your job to fix. So don't feel assert, don't feel this responsibility that you have to start referring people to um, to anyone and everyone for whatever their issue is. But I would say that it is beneficial to have that as a resource. Good. And like I said, you all, and it can just be pointing people to a website, or it could just be. Um, you know, so for example, um, I go to the awareness center which is in Clapham and they've got places around. So, and, and so if I've got friends in this area or clients or anything like that, and if they are, if they're just saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm not feeling myself. I'm not feeling great. I'm like, Hey, look, there's this place that I go to. After the end of this session, I'll send you a link to them. Maybe worse reaching out to them. Yeah. And that's it. I'm not going to pressure them. I'm not going to be on their back and going, Oh, have you spoken to them? Did you do this? Did you do that? Mm. Because I always say, if you have poor mental health, it's not your fault. Absolutely not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Okay. And it has to be down to that person, that individual to actually take that, um, to take that first step. Um, They can't be coerced into it or sort of like um, pushed into that. That person has to take that step. Yeah. And that takes time for some people, doesn't it? That internal, I'm going to do this. And it takes months for some people. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm someone who quite possibly should know better. And I've been in a position where I've put off speaking to someone that I really mm. ought to have spoken to them a long time, a long time before. Okay. Awesome, Rich. I think um, I've taken up enough of your time. But, mate, honestly, that was fucking brilliant. Honestly, that gave me a great insight into what's gone on with yourself and just, like, that was such a, a good chat just to hear hear your story because now it just makes me more aware of obviously stuff that you that's happened to you but i think there'll obviously be listeners that will you know relate to that and hopefully as always well the reason to the why of this podcast is to find relatable people and hopefully it, it spreads and it helps more people if they obviously have similar issues so dude thank you for coming on no, my pleasure thanks very much buddy appreciate it it's been a, it's a really good chat and um i always say like the the best way to discuss these things is to be very upfront be very honest yeah. be very open about it and um i think that's the way we remove a lot of the stigma around it it's not to sort of like dip a toe yeah and go oh yeah mental health it's really important and sometimes we're really bad and we've got to be really open about it so yeah thank you for giving me a platform to do so awesome thank you